I'd like for you to help me this morning um, to help make sure that we don't have any distractions, okay, or keep them as minimal as possible. The reason I reason I say that is because anytime I preach a message like what I'm about to preach, I can be assured that Satan's going to try to get some distractions in. If you'll check and make sure that you got your cell phone off, that would really help. Uh, this is one where I guarantee you, if you don't have that cell phone off, uh, he's going to put in the mind, uh, Satan's going to put in the mind the heart of somebody to give you a call, and they're going to forget all about it being on a Sunday morning. It just so happened. And I really would like to, um, to get through this without any distractions this morning. I know things happen, and you, if you have to get up, that's fine. But just try to keep it to a minimum, if you will, for the benefit of your pastor and the benefit of those that are around you uh, that will not be distracted from the message. Revelation chapter number 20. Look at the Revelation chapter number 20 this morning. We skipped last week and uh, got back here to this chapter. A few more things that I want to say. Uh, we have been looking at the time from when the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, His resurrection, His ascension, what happens uh, when uh, uh, the rapture takes place, and... Uh, taking a look at the, the millennial reign of Christ. In fact, a few weeks back, we looked at three judgments of the believer, and we saw the believer's past judgment as a sinner. Uh, and uh, thank God Christ took our sins. Amen. That's the judgment He bore, the judgment that belonged to us. What a wonderful thing. Now, it's been about five or six weeks ago that we did that. So some of you weren't here at that time, but... I'm not going to re-preach that. That was the judgments of the believer. And I told you that later we would take a look at the, ju- the final judgment of unbelievers. And that's what we want to look at this morning. We saw the believer's past judgment as a sinner. The believer's present judgment as a son. Thank God that uh, we can tell whether we're his or not by the chastening that he brings in our life when we get out of the way. And then uh, the believer's future judgment as a servant. When we are stand before the judgment seat of Christ... And God judges our works. Not to see whether we're going to heaven, but to see if we're going to have any rewards. It's already been determined that if we're in Christ, we're going to heaven. And I thank God for that. Aren't you glad that you're saved this morning? If you are saved, and that uh, nothing can undo that. Now this morning we look at the final judgment of unbelievers. This is an actual tragic event that will take place in the future at after Christ's millennial reign on the earth. And though that may seem like a long way off, and it is in our hearts and minds. We need to understand that it is sure to happen because God records that it's going to happen. And let's look at the Scripture as we look today at the final judgment of unbelievers. Let's, let's read the passage and we'll come back and take a look at what we see here. Verse number 11 says here in uh, Revelation 20 verse 11, And I saw a great white throne... And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written 
in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. First thing I want us to see this morning, I want us to note the scene of the judgment. This is a vision of this future judgment that is going to come. It was given to the Apostle John, the Revelator, uh, who in the first part of verse number 11 says that he saw a great white throne. And understand that the scene that we see here is the very throne of God. It is described as great. It's great because of who's on the throne and whose throne it is. We should expect that the greatest king of all time would have the great throne. Amen? And Jesus Christ is the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. And He has the, 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 the greatest throne ever. This throne belongs to none other than King Jesus, uh, our Lord and Savior, whom God, we know, has appointed to be judge of all men. We saw that when we were not only in the Gospel of John, chapter number 5, in our Gospel of John series, but we also saw it whenever we were dealing with the judgments of the believer. Jesus is going to be the judge there, and Jesus is going to be the judge here. So it's described as great. It's described as white. Now this is because of the absolute justice, holiness, and righteousness associated with it. White is speaking of purity. And though some may try to find fault with God regarding this judgment, there's no fault to be found. He is absolutely righteous and holy in His judgment. Understand that anytime a message like this is preached, some want to find something wrong with God and what He's doing, but uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with what God does. In our day, there are many who cry out for justice in this world. Listen, God's justice is coming. It's coming in the form of His judgment. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Psalm 97 verse 2 says, Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of His throne. So we note the scene of the judgment. And then next of all, I want you to note the sovereign of the judgment. The one on the throne is God. According to to verse number 11 there, the the latter part of the verse, it says, And him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Verse 12 tells us, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. So God is the one on the throne. God the Son is the one who is actually here. Jesus is God. Um, the one on the throne is Lord. Psalm 9 verse number 7 says, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared His throne for judgment. And He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. And we, as I said, we know that the one on the throne is Jesus because of our past studies, our, what we've looked at in the Word of God, regarding the fact that the, the Lord is, has given all judgment, the Lord God has given all judgment to the Son. 
John 5, 22 is the only one I'm going to quote, but if you want to read the, the context of it, you can write down John 5, verses 22 through 30. That's the context of, of Jesus speaking there about that judgment that's to come. And in John 5, 22, Jesus says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So there can be no doubt that the one that we see on the throne here is God. It's God the Son. And so... Uh, we know also that Paul, when he preached on Mars Hill, uh, and that's found in Acts 17 and verse number 31, he said, he's talking about God, he says, because he, God, hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. That man is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Amen. So make no mistake, Jesus is the one on the throne. I want us to note next the subjects of the judgment. Verse 12 calls them, I saw the dead small and great stand before God. And verse 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. We, we see their unity. They, they are all called the dead. The dead. And there in verses 12 and 13. This is the terminology for those who leave this life without Christ in their life. Those who are lost in their sin and they do not have the blood of Jesus Christ covering their sin. There are those who have one thing in common here. Despite God's provision of salvation for them, they are still found to be dead in trespasses and sin. That's a sad Sad reality. We see not only their unity, but we see their great diversity here. He says, I saw the dead small and great. Why in the world small and great there in verse number 12? Well, let me give you several ways in which they're small and great. Small and great in privilege. Right? There's, people, there's going to be people standing before this throne. People who were born with little advantages in life. Many people born in third world countries who never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who, though on the other side, were born with great advantages in this life. Many people born in the upper echelon of, of the United States or maybe some other developed country. That you're going to see the far reaches of, of, of the lowest and the greatest. There's a small and great in prominence. People viewed as having little to no importance in this life. You know, there, there are very few people who know who they are and their life has not touched very many other lives because of their insignificance as the world views it. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there are those whose lives have touched many. There are those who... Uh, are of great renown and fame. If I were to mention their names, you would understand their names because they are in the limelight, so to speak. People who are known far and wide and, and uh, the people who maybe whose lives have left an imprint as the world views it, even if that imprint is only that they are famous for being famous. Not much of a uh, great being there, but... And I don't understand that. Some people are just famous for being famous. Anyway, small and great in privilege, small and great in prominence. Think about small and great in proficiency. 
People who have little or no abilities or skills, we might call them primitive. People who are highly competent in certain abilities and skills that are essential. Think of your people that are involved in technology today. If they don't know Christ, no matter how smart they are, doesn't matter how much they've done in the world technologically wise, if they don't know Christ, they will be there. Small and great in perception, People who have little understanding of things in this universe. But on the other end, people who have great understanding and comprehension of many things in this universe. People who have never had any education. People who are very educated. In fact, I call them, there's some that are educated far beyond their intelligence. Small and great in prosperity. People who may have been born lived in and or died in poverty. People who may have been born with a silver spoon in their mouth too. We know what that means, right? Or maybe they were able to attain great riches in this life on, on their own or on the backs of others. And they died. When they died, they died maybe wealthy in the things of this world, but they left it all behind. We can't carry anything out. Now, used to be a bumper sticker many years back that I saw that he that, he that dies with the most toys wins. No, it's not true. He who dies with Jesus Christ is the winner. Amen? You, you get the most toys. You accumulate the most wealth. You have the most things. You may be looked up to by the world, but when you die, you're just as poor without Christ as that person in the third world country who never had anything. Small and great, also in principles. People who had little to no principles or code of ethics or standards in their life. We call them the lawless. Boy, are we seeing an increase in people that are lawless in our day and time. No principles in their life. I'm glad for being raised in a time when our parents instilled some principles in us. But you know those principles won't get you to heaven. They can... uh, helping your life, but they're not going to help you when you stand before the Lord. Then people who had creeds that they lived by and morals that they adhered to, like the rich young ruler that's in the Scriptures that came to Jesus. Remember, the rich young ruler came and he had some great principles in his life. But he was lost. Small and great in perverseness. Look at Revelation chapter number 21, the next, the next chapter there in verse number 8. Notice the list here. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now see, all of those are sinners, even the fearful and unbelieving. We look at the abominable murderers and all those that are after that, and we say, well, that's a bad list. But even the fearful and unbelieving, if you don't, haven't believed on Christ, you're still yet in your sins. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's not my words. That's what Jesus said out of his own mouth. All of these before this throne will be sinners. Some might be classified as little sinners, while others might be looked on as big sinners. Some might be thought of as moral, 
sinners, while others might be thought of as immoral sinners in this world's eye. But a sinner is a sinner. And we all are sinners, but thank God Jesus Christ took our sin and gave us His righteousness. I want you to note the standard of judgment next. The standard of judgment found there in verse number 12. When it says, And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Uh, what are the books that will be opened that day, on the day of judgment? Well, one book will be the Word of God. We know that from Romans 2 verse 12 says, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. I'm sure the Ten Commandments will be referred to, and somebody may stand before the throne and say, You know, uh, I, I tried my best to keep the Ten Commandments. Yeah, but you failed. You failed. All of us failed in that. There's a... There's a uh, DVD back there on the back table, the track table on the right. If you got somebody in your family that's lost, you ought to sit them down and have them look at this called the good test. How do you measure up? A bunch of young people on here, cocky young people that think they measure up real good when it comes to the to the uh, God's law. But the fact is, none of us measure up. They are humbled in just a few moments on there. And the reality sets in that they are sinners. How does your life line up with the book? Listen, Romans 3 verse 10 through 12 tells us how we lined up before Christ. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And that's why we needed Jesus. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, the Scripture will be there, the Bible. Another book specifically mentioned is the uh, works of, of men. There in verse 13, it says, And they were judged every man according to their works. People will want to refer to the things that maybe they've done in life. Well, everything's recorded. God makes no mistakes. The good and the bad. When I was growing up, we, we lived in a country neighborhood and we had to catch a bus with other kids in the neighborhood. And there was a, a family that taught their children that you know, as long as your good works outweigh your bad works, you're, you'll be fine. That's not what we learned in Scripture. Scripture says the none is righteous, no, not one. And apart from the righteousness that we have in Christ, we have no righteousness. All of our righteousness is just as filthy rags. Another book that's specifically mentioned here is the book of life. On the pages of this book is where you had better have your name written. The sad reality is those that stand before this judgment, none of them are in there. None of them are there. 
Verse 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Now, I want you to notice the sentence of the judgment there. Verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Listen, the degree of judgment may be different, but the decree of judgment will be the same. I believe that there's degrees of judgment. But what we can understand from Scripture here is it's a factual sentence. This is not a fairy tale. This is not make-believe. This is not a metaphor. Some people have tried to take... uh, When Jesus told the story about rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, they've tried to say, well, that was just a parable. No, he didn't have names when it came to parables. He didn't say it was a parable. He had a specific rich man in mind and a man named Lazarus that he told that story about. And this is not make-believe. This is a literal place just as heaven is a literal place. Remember, Jesus said to His disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to a place, a place called heaven. Heaven's a literal place just like the earth is a literal place and the lake of fire is a literal place. It's a factual sentence. It's a fiery sentence. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 18.8. Jesus called it everlasting fire. Everlasting fire. Again in Matthew 25 and verse 41, He said, Then shall He say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from Me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus described it this way in Mark chapter 9, verse 43 through 48. In verse 43 and 45, he calls it the fire that never shall be quenched twice. Then another three times, he says, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That's in Mark 9, verse 44, 46, and 48, and he's quoting there from Isaiah 66 in verse 24. It's a factual sentence. It's a fiery sentence. Listen, it is a frightening or fearful sentence. The very thought of the reality of such a sentence should strike fear in the heart of every person who does not know the Lord. Now, if we know the Lord... The only thing we should fear for is our loved ones and our friends and our family and our neighbors that don't know the Lord. Imagine, if you will, standing before Jesus. Now, Jesus is the most compassionate and loving person ever live on earth. He is. But listening to Him on that day as judge and hearing Him instruct you to be cast in a lake of fire because you didn't trust Him. How sad is that? The very thought of the reality of such a sentence should burden every believer for the souls of men who do not know the Lord. Again, your friends, your family, and others. It's a frightening or fearful sentence. It's also a faithful sentence. It's faithful because a holy God who cannot lie has spoken it. It will be carried out. No one's going to escape this that is an unbeliever. It's a final sentence. There are no appeals. 
The trial will be fair. There are no unknowns at this judgment. The omniscient God knows it all and presents it all. There is no return. There is no mercy. There are no second chances. I'm glad there's mercy in this life. Amen. We find mercy in Jesus Christ. There's no mercy there. It is a forever sentence. Think about it. No pardons. No parole. No end. Forever and ever. And everlasting fire. I want you to note the separation of the judgment. The separation of the judgment. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. According to verse 14. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Verse 15. There, there's, we see there's separation from God. Yeah. When you think of God, what do you think of? God's long-suffering, isn't He? He's merciful. He's loving. He's gracious. Well, listen. There's separation from all that God is. The long-suffering of God will not be there. The mercy of God will not be there. The graciousness of God will not be there. And the love of God will not be there. There's not only separation from God, but there's also separation from blessings. I thank God for the niceties that we have in this life. We're blessed of God, aren't we? I mean, even in the midst of the trials and tribulations that we face going through this life, we can't but know that our God is a good God who's given us so much. But none of the niceties of this life are there. Not even a drop of water. Not even a drop. There is separation not only from God and from blessings, but there is separation from friends and loved ones. Those who went to heaven and be separated from them for all eternity. And sometimes you hear some folks try to joke about this time They'll tell jokes about hell, tell jokes about the lake of fire, and how they're going to party with their friends when they get there. No. There will be no friendship and no love to be found. They'll be separated from friends and loved ones who went to hell also. Now I want you to note the suffering of the judgment found in verse 10. Previously we saw where Uh, Some folks are already there in the lake of fire. Look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. At the beginning of the millennial reign, the beast and the false prophet were thrown in there. At the end of when Christ, when Christ comes and defeats his enemies, boom, they're put in the they're put in the lake of fire, beast and the false prophet. At the end of the millennial reign, after Satan has been loosed for a season, he is finally and once for all defeated. Of course, his defeat took place on the cross of Calvary, but it's consummated when he is cast into the lake of fire to be tormented forever and ever. And that is the suffering of the judgment. Tormented day and night forever and ever. Tormented by their memory. Think of the missed opportunities that some folks have. Miss out on opportunities to come to know Christ. If you're here without Christ today, this is an opportunity. And if you don't trust Christ, 
then uh, you missed out on this opportunity and it will haunt you if you leave this world without Christ. Tormented by the madness. It's described there in the fire as weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I never have liked horror flicks. I don't know if you are into horror films or not. Um, I'm not into that. And this was far beyond any horror that you could ever imagine. Tormented by the misery. I mean, there's nothing about the lake of fire, the lake of fire here that brings any comfort. It only brings misery. And then last of all, I want us to note the sorrow of the judgment. Sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow for all eternity. Nothing that we talked about, nothing that I presented is anything but sorrow to the unbeliever. The greatest sorrow is to know that it was an avoidable tragedy. Can you imagine going through eternity saying, if I had only believed, if I had only believed. My family told me I needed to trust the Jesus. If I had only believed, that preacher told me I needed to trust Jesus. If I had only believed, if only, if only they had listened, if only they had trusted Christ. Now listen, if you leave this earth without Christ, you'll be there. As long as you're breathing, there's time to trust Christ. The question is, do you know Him? And are you sure? If you don't know Him, why not avoid that tragedy by trusting Christ today? You know, each one of us here this morning, just one heartbeat away from eternity, just one heartbeat away, you never know what a day is going to bring forth. You just don't. If you've trusted Christ, what about your family? Is your life and witness pointing them to the Savior? Or do they look at you kind of like um, Lot's family looked at him? And they laughed. He was trying to tell them that judgment was coming. He had been told that uh, God was going to rain fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. And he tried to, tried to get them to leave Sodom. And they just laughed at him because he had no testimony. Do you have some in your family that would look at you and say, if you're a Christian, you can count me out? What about your friends? People you know and care about. Will they face this tragic end to their lives? Is anything in your life helping them find their way to Jesus? What about at church? Should we not care for a world that is lost and dying and headed for this awful place? Now, I know a uh, difficult message, but it's true. When you think about those who have never heard the name of Christ or those who have never heard the gospel, never had a clear presentation, should we not be busy about trying to see that they get a clear presentation? Do we really care like we should? I don't know how the Lord spoken to your heart this morning. Whatever how He's spoken to you, let me just tell you, be obedient to Him. Okay, Be obedient to Him. Let's pray.
Father, we come to